she's back. Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast, the tough-talking, advice-giving, butt-kicking show for the 2020s by the not-really-mean Mean Lady, Susan J. Elliott. Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast, and welcome to Season 3. Episode 100B, I did a little bit of an intro on the first episode, 100A, but now we are at 100B, and we are going into some more real content. My name is Susan Elliott, and if you're not familiar with this podcast, please join us this season. We talk about relationships, breakups, mental health, personality disorders, life, love, loss, grief, breaking up, divorce, children, custody, no contact, moving on, how to separate your childhood issues issues from your adult issues, how to set goals, how to live a life, how to be alone. We talk about all of that stuff. We do a smattering of true crime because I'm also an attorney. In addition to being a therapist, I am an author of Getting Past Your Breakup, How to Turn a Devastating Loss into the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You, which is one of the top selling books on breakups. And if you put in best books on breakups, it's going to come up probably in the first two or three options on Google. I am also the author of Getting Back Out There, Secrets to Successful Dating and Finding Real Love After the Big Breakup, the Getting Past Your Past Workbook, and the Power Affirmations booklet, and many more are coming. So please join us for an in-depth, deep dive into all of these subjects. As I said on A, we're going to start this season with the definitive Chris Wasp, but we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff in there. We're going to be talking about mental health. We're going to be talking about relationships. We're going to talk about the relationship between Shanann and Chris and what Shanann did wrong. We're going to talk about personality disorders and how it was so hard to figure out that Chris Watts had one and turned into like this crazy, crazy psychopath. And I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about how I figured out from the series that I did previously to now, what the hell is really wrong with this guy? So all of that is coming in the next seven to 10 episodes. For each time that I do a definitive Chris Watts, I'm also going to do a second episode on a GPYB program topic. And I'm also going to return to the once a month mail we got mail. Many people send me their relationship saga, but I can't answer all this email. And I also would upset my private clients. And I have therapy clients. I have divorce clients. I have divorce coaching clients. And I've done divorce coaching across the United States and in Canada. And I've done therapy, I've had therapy clients and I have therapy clients from all around the world. So if I was giving out free individual advice, they would get very upset. But if you have a relationship saga or something that you want to talk about, a situation, if you send it to me and you put in the subject line, free to talk about this on the podcast, I will do that. So please do that. But for a regular generated email, I cannot give out individual answers. I just can't. And if you go to the gettingpassionatebreakup.com website, It says GPYB coaching and counseling, and there is an email selection there. So if you want to really get my input on your situation or your breakup, please use that and email me and we'll have a chat. 
Anyway, back to the podcast. Before we get started, I want to go back to giving my meanies a shout out. These are the people who are so generous and wonderful to support me on Patreon. And they receive the podcast two days early. And depending on the tier, they also receive some special meanie-only content. And the first of that content will be out later this week. Today is December 6, 2020. And that is the day I'm recording it. I hope to have it out in the next day or so. So look forward to that. And then the public will be released two days later. So the first group of meanies that I want to give a shout out to are my A meanie. That is Allison, Amy, Amanda, and Anja. Thank you, ladies, so much for your support. It really means everything and is the reason why we're in season three. Now, one of the things that we're doing in season three is I'm putting the announcements at the beginning so that it'd be easy to go back and take them out so that when the time has passed, people don't have to sit through them when they come later on and that announcement has expired. I just want to let everybody know that the study hall, which is going to be different from boot camps, is scheduled to start between January 15th and February 1st. And I will be doing a special audio that you can download and listen to at your leisure on the differences between boot camp and study hall, explaining it all. And that will be coming in the next few weeks. The next thing that I want to do is the lightning round. The lightning round is going to be really quick answers to questions that people have emailed me. I've asked people to start leaving your questions and comments on the YouTube version of the podcast episode. So if you have any about this episode, please go to YouTube and ask the questions, leave the comments over there. So one of the lightning round questions was, am I going to do a podcast on Tati Westbrook or Jeffrey Star or James Charles? And the answer is no. I don't remember mentioning any of those people on the on 99 that I did when I talked about Shane Dawson, but they were all involved in the drama gate that ended Shane Dawson's career on YouTube. And as I said, I wanted this material to be relevant to my main listening audience. And I don't think that any of those people are relevant to my main listening audience. And I really don't want to go back through their videos and look at their mental challenges or personality disorders or whatever's going on over there. So no, I'm not going to do it. Somebody else also asked about Austin McBroom. Austin McBroom is the father on the Ace family. I really don't want to do a video on the Ace family. I really think that they're very dysfunctional. I think that enough people have said that about them. I think there's enough evidence out there that there's really cracks in their relationship, that a lot of what they put up there is fake and not real. And I'm just not that interested. But if you want to see a podcast on the Ace family, please let me know. So that was mostly what I received in questions were about other channels that I mentioned or were related to some of the people that I mentioned. I'm not doing podcasts on any of those people unless there is this huge ground swelling of demand for it. So let me know what you what you do and don't want to hear. And nobody said, I really want to see you do this. They just asked me if I was going to do it. And if I have my druthers, and right now I do because nobody's requesting it, 
I'm not going to do any podcast on any of those people. I just cannot be bothered. But I will be bothered if my audience really wants me to. So just let me know. Some people have asked me about the Gypsy Rose Blanchard and Nick Godijon. I'm kind of on the fence about that. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, let me know in comments on YouTube. I really am intrigued by the question, is she a victim or is she a manipulative personality? I mean, what's the deal with her? And I tried to watch some of the Dr. Phil interview with her, even though he makes me want to drive nails through my head. All he did was ask her questions. Trained monkey could do what he did in that interview. It's like he's so incapable of anything of substance. But anyway, I would love to do a Gypsy Rose Blanchard Nick go to John. But I want to know what you guys think. And I'd also like to know what you think about her. Do you think she's a victim? Do you think she's manipulative? I mean, what do you think? There's been a lot of stuff about her on the internet, but I still am not sure that I have quite the handle on her that I like to have. So let me know what you guys think. If it's something that you want, I will definitely dive into it. But I'm kind of on the fence. So you guys will be the ones that push me one way or the other. So go to YouTube. Let me know. Okay. Misuse word of the week. Okay. This one really hit my heart hard. She disappeared herself. No, she did not. There's no such friggin' thing as she disappeared herself. This is a woman who people suspected that she wasn't murdered. She wasn't kidnapped. She wasn't held hostage. That she basically packed up her shit and left and never wanted to be heard from again. And the person who described what happened to her said she disappeared herself. Okay, that is so wrong. Don't use that. I have a whole bunch of examples like that. And one of these weeks, I'm going to do a few. And if you have them, please leave them on the video version of this podcast on YouTube. And give me words that you hear people use that they're either making them up or they're using them wrong or whatever. And I'm going to do that once an episode. And so please let me know what you hear. But there's no such thing as she disappeared herself. Okay. I said that I was going to do the definitive Chris Watts. And the question to that is why. Why would I do the definitive Chris Watts? And as I explained in episode 99, after Netflix came out, there has been this appearance of all these new people on YouTube talking about Chris Watts, making that the centerpiece of their channel, basically recycling old information. And like I've said, there's a lot of old information that is wrong. And I call them the Nitwit Network. And the Nitwit Network is comprised of people who got the facts wrong, get the law wrong, gets the mental health wrong, think Chris Watts is innocent, think Shanann is the devil, think Shanann has something like Munchausen syndrome, think Shanann is a malignant narcissist, thinks Nicole Kessinger was in on the action, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's who I call the Nitwit Network. Now, there are some people out there that do a pretty good job but have gotten it wrong some of the time. So I just wanted to do a complete, this is some of what's important to know about the Chris Watts saga. And I'm going to keep it relevant to my listening audience. And I'm not going to go through everything. I'm not going to sit here and I'm going to say, okay, well, Shanann and Chris got married on this day and then they had Bella and then they had Cece and then they moved to Colorado and whatever order they all, they all went. I'm not going to do that. 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop references to their lives when it is good to illustrate a point that I'm making. So after the Netflix documentary came out and all these people started coming onto YouTube and many of them are recycling old material or there's people like body language experts who are, there are so many new ones who are just recycling stuff that I've seen so many times before. I've seen it from Derek Von Shake. I've seen it from JCS Psychology. There's a few others that were on the internet well before these people that have come in the past few months since the Netflix documentary came out. Psychic. All of a sudden, there's this band of idiots who suddenly know what really happened because they're psychic. They watched the Netflix documentary, but they obviously weren't psychic enough to know that Chris Watts was out there killing somebody before Netflix documentary came out. They didn't know that people were discussing this case for two years before the Netflix documentary came out. So how psychic are they, really? I mean, your little spidey senses aren't working so well. If you had to watch the Netflix documentary and then your psychic powers kick in, how did you not know about this? Anyway, but then there's the other people that talk about narcissism who are completely wrong. And then there's the people who are usually not wrong, but sometimes wrong and they get things wrong. And then there are some of the legal experts who get things wrong. And since I'm a therapist and I'm a lawyer and I have a lot of experience in both, this drives me completely bonkers. But then after the Netflix documentary, we had two other developments. We had Chris Watts, who has his new girlfriend, Anna, because of course, if you are looking for somebody in your life, the person that you want is somebody who has murdered their pregnant wife and children and is behind bars for the rest of his life. Okay, that's the guy you want. You're like, I want a piece of that because that's who this Anna is, whoever the hell she is. And I'm going to go into women who love people behind bars at some point during this definitive Chris Watts thing, because that's kind of interesting. I've just seen it for so long. And that's actually how I got rid of my abusive homicidal boyfriend, who I refer to as homicidal. That's his nickname. And that's who my listeners know him as. But that's how I got rid of him was because he got a girlfriend while he was in jail. And I'll talk about that at some point. But Chris and Anna and this investigator who is dumb as a stone got together on this nutty, nutty, nutty phone call that I did a podcast episode on and discussed, I I don't know what, like craziness. Apparently, Chris has decided that he doesn't want to stay in jail any longer. One of the channels that I subscribe to is True Crime Loser. And he talks about it suddenly dawned on Chris Watts that he's going to spend the rest of his life three inches from the toilet bowl, which is a reference to when he was in Colorado. People were telling him to kill himself and it was a good idea to stick his head in the toilet bowl. So yeah, it's like suddenly dawned on Chris Watts that, oh my goodness, like this is my life. So these three nitwits get together and they decide that they're going to figure a way out and they're not. The other thing was that Ronnie Watts, who was Chris Watts' father, who's always been a man of few words, and most of those words are his wife, Cindy's, did an interview with a Chris Watts sympathizer. And yes, there are Chris Watts sympathizers, and I'm going to go into them on one of these episodes. But Ronnie Watts did this interview that was a 
total shit show, total train wreck. The week that Chris was sentenced in November of 2018, he, his wife Cindy, and his daughter Jamie had a call with Chris, and the three of them discussed a whole bunch of things. But it was this bizarre phone call where they were repeating everything that each other said. It was like there was this big echo in the room. It was ridiculous. And much what Ronnie said in this interview was just repeating what he said back then. And he really got tripped up in a few different places. And you could tell, like I could tell, I don't know if anybody else could tell, but I could tell that he basically is parroting Cindy's words. This is all Cindy. Cindy probably said, oh, they haven't heard from you, Ronnie, and they probably are sick and tired of hearing from me because I keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. So I want you to go in there and I want you to give the interview. And during this interview, he said that he still believes what Chris told him that day when he went in there and he told him that Shanann killed the kids and then in a fit of rage, he killed her, which is all bullshit and we know it. That was all fed to him through the FBI and it was only to get him to crack. And it's a technique, it's an interrogation technique that's as old as the hills. Get them to hop to something that would be justifiable and then you get them to walk into what actually happened. And now poor Ronnie delusional Watts is sitting there saying that he believes that Shanann killed the kids. And she absolutely did not. And this is just throwing red meat to the ferocious, frothing, rabid Shanann haters. What a bunch of crap. Total, 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 total crap. And it just, it just ignited me. And I already had all this in the works because his interview came out after after episode 99, where I talked about all this stuff and why I was doing a definitive Chris Watts again. His interview came out after that. And so if I wasn't going to do the definitive Chris Watts before I heard that interview, I certainly was going to do it afterwards because it's like the thing that doesn't die. Chris Watts is just the thing that doesn't die. And if they want to put fuel on the fire and they want to throw this red meat to those animals who are so against Shanann and have harassed her family and acted like a bunch of lunatics, then fine. I will continue to talk about how horrible they all are and what terrible human beings they are. I will continue to put my voice on the other side of this. And there was a guy who did a video on the Ronnie Watts interview. And he said that because people were saying Shanann was so perfect, that this diatribe of Ronnie's or whatever it was, I really can't call it a diatribe because the man doesn't have any emotion. I mean, he's just flat, just completely flat. He doesn't really believe anything that he says. He's just parroting Cindy. But this guy said that he thinks that you could expect the counter narrative because of everybody thinking that Shanann was so perfect. And I left a comment on the video and I left it as myself as getting past your breakup that no, I haven't said anything negative about Shanann because of these haters, because of this stuff like she was evil. That's what Ronnie said. And the, the, the week that Chris was getting sentenced, Cindy Watts said to him, we know how she was, like she deserved to be murdered. These are horrible people. Nobody deserves to be murdered. 
but it wasn't about Shanann was perfect. The reason that I haven't said, talked about the things that Shanann did wrong was because of these haters, was because of some of these attitudes toward her. It's not about Shanann was perfect. It's about nobody wants to feed these animals. We just don't. I just don't want to throw any red meat to these morons. But I am going to talk about what Shanann did wrong because it's about relationship issues and it's about observation and it's about things that my listeners really need to hear about. So I am going to talk about it. But the reason that I haven't talked about it is not because I think Shanann is perfect. If the haters backed off of her and backed off her family... It would have been easier to talk about what she did wrong. The other thing is that there is a Colorado attorney named Scott Reich who has a a video channel, Crime Talk. And Scott Reich readily admits that his channel blew up in volume for the Chris Watts thing. But he's an attorney and he's in Colorado. So he really was at the base of what was happening. But he said a few videos ago, it's time to move on. He wasn't railroaded. He wasn't given an unfair shake. He took a plea deal that was perfectly legal and airtight in every respect. And he was right. And then he did another video where he went through Chris Watts's colloquy. And a colloquy is when the judge asks the defendant a lot of questions about their plea agreement and about arriving at the plea agreement and what went into the plea agreement and the interaction between the defendant and the attorneys. And if the defendant really is of the right mindset to make this plea agreement and enter into this plea agreement, there was this long colloquy and Scott Reich goes through it step by step on his channel. And I left a comment on that channel and I said, I absolutely agree that this colloquy is airtight and they are looking to do something that is called a 35C. And a 35C is basically you want the conviction overturned. And usually the only way that a 35C is going to succeed is if there is new evidence that came to light that was not available at the time of the conviction. And even though there was a plea agreement, it's considered his conviction. After the judge went through the colloquy, went through the plea agreement, he convicted him of many counts of first-degree murder. And there was unlawful termination of a pregnancy. There was, I believe there was abuse of a court or whatever it is in Colorado. But Scott Reich went through the whole colloquy and each and every charge that was in the plea agreement and what he was being convicted of. It's airtight. There is no evidence that was not available at the time. This 35C is going nowhere fast. But of course, the Nitwit Network is going to talk about it. And it's complete and utter crap. And this is why we can't move on. And Ronnie Watts was asked why he thought that Chris Watts took a plea agreement. And he said because he had post-traumatic stress disorder. And I was like, give me a break. Give me a break. I know trauma. And he was not traumatized. He wanted to go play footsie with his little mistress. That's why all of them got murdered. They were under financial strain. He didn't want his new girlfriend to know how much of a financial strain that he was under. And he didn't want to pay child support. He didn't want to pay alimony. He didn't want to pay this and that and other thing. And so he just offed them all. But the thing that tells me that A, 
Shanann did not kill those kids, and B, he wasn't traumatized by anything, was he drove those kids out to the site, whether dead or alive, dead according to his father's new friggin' interview, and alive according to him, and I'd like to see them square this all up at a new trial. But anyway, he took those girls and he squeezed them through an opening in those oil tanks. And you don't do that to a child that you love. You don't do that to a human being that you love. You don't do that to anybody that you love. And there was evidence that he had to squeeze Bella, poor Bella, who fought for her life. You, He had to shove her through that opening, and he did. And he did. Let's get this clear. If he was so upset that his wife killed those kids, he should have called 911, not chucked them into those oil tanks. And the people who were traumatized were the people that had to take those poor girls' bodies out of the oil tanks. And I'm not going to go into the conditions of the body. That's all over the internet if you want to find out, but it's absolutely disgusting. And the people who were traumatized were the poor rescue workers that had to take them out. That's who was traumatized, not the guy who killed them. And even if he was somebody who witnessed his wife killing them. That's not how you treat your children. That's not how you treat their children's dead bodies. I don't care who killed them. I don't care if they got run over by a truck. You don't treat their bodies like that. So it, it's like who in in their right mind could defend somebody who did that? It doesn't matter how those girls got into that position, meaning how they died. It matters what their father did with their bodies. It was disgusting. And anybody who can defend that is out of their damn mind. And for Ronnie Wass to stand there and have all these pictures of him with his grandchildren and showing pictures of these little monuments that they have in the back of their house to the girls, knowing what his son did to those girls' bodies. I do a lot of true crime. And there's been plenty of people that hack up the body of the person that they killed. And I have become immune sometimes to what people actually do to people that they allegedly loved. But what Chris Watts did to his children's bodies after they were dead is some of the most horrific stuff that I've ever heard. And it's absolutely indefensible. And anybody who can defend that is just completely out of their mind. Now, for those of you who don't know me, don't know the podcast, don't know my involvement, I want to let you know how I got involved in the Chris Watts thing in the first place. I follow a lot of true crime. It's something that I do as an aside. It's not something that I do a lot on the channel, though I have done it. I was involved in the Jody Arias thing for a long time. I did a podcast on male stalking victims, Travis Alexander. And and I also did some podcasts and some articles. I wrote a lot of articles before I had the podcast on Jody Arias because of the domestic violence accusations that I don't believe for a second because I was a domestic violence victim and a domestic violence advocate for a long time. And as an attorney and a therapist, I have a lot of clients who have had domestic violence as part of their story. So I've done a lot of true crime. I've done a lot of Jody Arias. And I've been following sort of the big cases in true crime. And I don't do them all. And I don't mention them all. And in fact, there's actually been very few that I have mentioned over the years. And 
I really tried to stay above the fray, away from the fray during when Chris Watts was the hottest. It was real easy to go on YouTube or on a podcast and start spouting about Chris Watts. And as an attorney and a therapist, I thought that I had a pretty unique angle. Plus, like Shanann, I have lupus. I could talk about that. And like Chris, my late husband, Michael, was this huge NASCAR fan. And there's a NASCAR angle to this whole thing that I've never heard anybody talk about that I'm actually going to talk about on this series. But I didn't jump into the fray. I didn't become one of those people who wanted to just use Chris Watts as a way to propel my channel into the stratosphere. My, my channel was not in the stratosphere. I just didn't want to get involved in the noise. It was just so much noise. There was all these conspiracy theories. There was all these people talking about Nicole Kessinger how she was probably involved. And it was just insane to me at the time. And rather than jump in and use it as an easy vehicle to get my YouTube channel to explode, I decided to do the opposite and just pull back and not jump into all of the craziness that was going on. I just didn't want to get involved in it. And I didn't feel that it would be good for my podcast and my podcast listeners. They come here for other types of content. And while the Chris Watts stuff is rich for all the content they come here for, the personality disorders, the relationship issues, the cheating, the infidelity, the crazy family dynamics, all that stuff is what they come here for. It was just so overblown at the time that I just felt as if I don't want to put my voice in there now. I didn't want to get into it with other channels, channels that I disagreed with, people that I disagreed with. I just didn't want to. So I stayed away from it. I did some Chris Watts podcast, but mostly it was about personality disorders and kind of thinking out loud, him as a narcissist, as a sociopath, as a psychopath. And I didn't have it all clearly mapped out in my head at the time, like I do now. So I'm glad that I didn't pump out a lot of Chris Watts content because I really don't think that my analysis would have been as clear then as it is now. So that's why I'm doing it now. So I want to say what I have and haven't done as far as this case goes, mental health goes, legal goes. I have not watched the Netflix documentary. I've not watched. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos that people posted after watching the Netflix documentary. Within a week of the Netflix documentary ending, we have a group on Facebook, Getting Past Your Breakup, and two different people posted about their reaction to the documentary, and we discussed it on there. And that's when I went on YouTube to figure out what was going on, what the Nitwit Network was up to. I have not read the book Letters from Christopher, but I have watched a lot of videos and read a lot of online articles about it. I just don't want to give any money toward that craziness which is his third confession, which I know about. I know what he said, and I'm going to go into why I think it's all a bunch of crap. I followed the case from the beginning. I researched the case on my own, and that's not just doing YouTube research. It's doing all kinds of research, all kinds of independent research, book, internet, talking to colleagues, both in law and mental health, getting their opinions, 
following things that have been written in the media. I've gone through all the discovery material more than once, and there are thousands of pages of discovery material. And I'll be talking about some of that, but I think a lot of that is old news. And unless it's really relevant to what we're talking about, I'm not going to really mention it. I've listened to all of the police interviews multiple times, including the five-hour second confession where the FBI went up to visit Christopher Watts in prison, and they had that, that conversation. I've listened to all of his confessions, all of his interviews multiple times, and I've listened to all of the Watts phone calls to and from each other from jail and prison. I have not read Cindy's book. I have no idea why she changed her daughter's name and everybody knows what her daughter's name is. As I said before, I listened to the ridiculous appeal phone call with the girlfriend, Anna, and the investigator who seemed as dumb as a rock. And some people weren't even sure that the guy on the phone was Chris Watts because he sounds so different than he has before. And if it's him, it's a showcase that the whole prison experience is getting to him in a big way. Now, Scott Reich did a recent video on Chris Watts getting into trouble because some of his belongings were in another guy's cell. And so it seems like he is out of being in solitary. I don't know when that happened. That part I would have to look up. But I tried to stay away from this case for a long time and I was sick for most of 2020. So I probably missed when he seemed to be palling around with people in general population. And I don't even know the details of that, what he got in trouble for and the other prisoner. I don't really know anything about that. So I'm not going to be talking about it. What I refer to the Anna investigator phone call is the Valley of the Wilderness phone call. And so if you hear me talking about the Valley of the Wilderness, it's because it sounds like three idiots get together and talk about things they know nothing about while throwing around at ridiculous analogies. There was this one reference to Valley of the Wilderness and irrelevant scriptures. And if the case wasn't so sad, and if Chris Watts was not such a lying, delusional sociopath and psychopath, it would be hilarious. But unfortunately, it's just not hilarious. But there were times during that phone call where I thought, are we serious about this? I mean, he sounds like he is just completely falling apart. At this point in time, he's talking about how with the five-hour interview, he was just agreeing with the investigators. And that's absolutely ridiculous. And between the cropping up of new people on YouTube after Netflix, and this investigative phone call, this is what drove me back to talking about Chris Watts again, because it's absolutely ridiculous. He sounds completely insane. He called the five-hour interview where he just talked and talked and talked openly, freely, just let it flow. And they did all kinds of disclaimers in the beginning. If you don't want to talk to us, it's fine. Just let us know. We'll go. We don't want you to be uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. And now he is calling it a coercive psychological intimidation of someone who has never been in that situation before. And it's like, I have no idea what interview he's talking about, because the one that I heard was the investigators asking very simple, straightforward, open-ended questions. And he went on and on and on as both a therapist and as an attorney. 
I heard nothing coercive or intimidating about that interview. And they said he didn't need to answer anything he didn't want to. And they understood if it was all too much for him. They preface a lot of their questions with, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. And then he spilled his guts. After they qualified it, you don't have to answer this. They were very soft. They were very kind. And now Chris Watts is calling it a coercive psychological intimidation. And I'm telling you, as someone who knows coercive psychological intimidations, who has studied things like interrogation technique and interview technique and psychological intimidation techniques, both from the legal and the law enforcement and the psychological side, it was nothing of the sort. And after Chris Watt accuses those investigators, sounded like old home week, and people got really upset with the FBI after that was posted because they said that they couldn't believe that they were yucking it up with him, the mass murderer, blah, blah, blah. Actually intimidating him would have gone nowhere and done nothing. They just wanted him to talk about whatever it is he wanted or needed to talk about. And that's what they did. There was absolutely nothing coercive or intimidating about that conversation. And if there had been, the FBI wouldn't have gotten the amount of backlash that they got when it was done. And after that comment, the investigator goes into this analogy that the FBI were the hunters and Chris Watts is the game. And he says, they deprive you of basic necessities when they have you in that chair. And I assume he's talking about the chair in Colorado. But for most of the interviews in Colorado, except for after he failed the polygraph, he was free to leave. And in Wisconsin, they told him he could have bathroom breaks, water breaks. He went to lunch in the middle of the thing at the same time that he goes every day. And that is not depriving him of anything. He had a full night's sleep the night before the polygraph. And on this investigative call, Chris Watts makes up this nonsense that he heard Tammy, the FBI investigator, say that he did pretty well on the polygraph. Apparently, he says he heard overheard this conversation that she had with somebody in the hallway. But I'm absolutely sure that never happened. There's simply no way that you completely fail a polygraph the way he did. And then the person administering the test says you did well. And so then the investigator says that Chris Watts should have been physically, mentally, and get this, spiritually fit for the polygraph, which is complete and utter nonsense. They let him go home and get some sleep. And they do that with most people. But at what point does somebody decide that they are now spiritually fit enough for a polygraph. It is complete and utter nonsense. And I think that by using the word spiritual, the investigator was just blowing smoke up Chris Watts's butt because now he's Jesus Chris, be Christian Chris. And I think that that's all a bunch of crap too. But the investigator saying that he should have been physically, mentally, and spiritually fit is just bizarro world. There are many innocent people who take polygraphs to be cleared. That's the point of polygraphs is to clear you. They're not admissible in court. It's to 
clear you. It's so that the police can go on to someone else. And there are plenty of innocent people who take polygraph. Now, their loved one has just been murdered. They are a wreck. They haven't eaten. They haven't slept. They're, they're just, their mind is racing a million miles an hour. Probably they're having anxiety. Their heart is racing a million miles an hour. When will they get into physical, mental, and spiritual shape to take the polygraph? When will they be ready to take a polygraph to talk about the disappearance appearance or the death of their loved one. How long is it going to take? A year? Two years? And many people, even the most spiritual or religious people, if they have had a death or a disappearance of their loved one, they might be at a place where they're angry at their higher power. They're angry at the entity they consider God. So at what point do you wait around for their spiritual fitness to kick in. And what do you do with agnostics and atheists? What should you be waiting around for where they're concerned? Or do they have to wait for them to have a spiritual awakening? I mean, what say you, dumb investigator, about the spiritual fitness of an atheist? What should the polygrapher be doing about that? Excuse me? Tell me, tell me now. Chris Watts came in after sleeping all night and he probably had breakfast. I mean, he didn't look like he was missing a meal. And then the investigator says he didn't trust the results of the polygraph. It's like Chris Watts's girlfriend, Anna, found the dumbest investigator on the planet. And what is he investigating? And I was so irritated as an attorney, the experience of hearing this phone call with dumb Chris Watts talking about the fruit of the poisonous tree, which is an evidentiary concept. And that sucked me right back in. I was like, damn, here we go again. So let me just put on my lawyer hat for a moment and explain Fruit of the Poisonous Tree and the 35C motion. Chris Watts wants to file a 35C, according to Scott Reich, on his channel, Crime Talk. 35C is also called post-conviction relief, which means that you're looking to have your verdict vacated because you were denied your constitutional constitutional rights to a fair trial and a fair sentence. And there's only a certain amount of time that you can file this. And if the 35C is granted, the judge can set it aside. But this is what qualifies for it to be granted. There has to be new evidence of material facts that could not have been reasonably discovered prior to the conviction. Now, I don't know what that would be. And no, the, I put this on Scott Reich's video. I just have no idea what evidence that could have been. Now, the now the fruit of the poisonous tree has to do with excluding evidence that was illegally obtained. And it seems to me from this phone call that Chris Watts is going to try to make a case that the polygraph was illegally obtained, or maybe the whole confession was illegally obtained. I have no idea. But the polygraph didn't have anything to do with his conviction. So even if they tossed out the polygraph, I don't know where that would leave him. If they tossed out a whole bunch of things, I don't know where that would leave him. But the fruit of the poisonous tree is about if this piece of evidence is bad, then any evidence that fell from it is also bad. So maybe that's what he's trying to say, that they did the polygraph, that was illegal, then he confessed. And so all of that stems from the poisonous tree being the polygraph. That's the only thing that I can think of. But 
There are exceptions to the fruit of the poisonous tree that if you went to law school instead of NASCAR school, maybe you would know that. And the evidence will not be excluded if it was discovered from a source independent of an illegal activity, its discovery was inevitable, or if there is attenuation between the illegal activity and the discovery of the evidence. Also, if the primary evidence that was illegally obtained is still admissible under a good faith exception, then everything that flowed from it or the fruit will also be admissible. Under the good faith exception, Evidence that is obtained in violation of a person's constitutional rights will not be excluded if the officer, even though that officer is mistaken, acts reasonably, and even if the information later proves to be false. Any evidence that was seized while the officer believed that it was true and that the officer relied upon with reasonable reliance then it will still be admitted. The whole idea of the fruit of the poisonous tree and all the exclusionary rules that exist in the federal rules of evidence and all the state rules of evidence, they're all designed to deter police misconduct and excluding evidence so that police don't misbehave. That's what it's all designed to do. What exactly did the police do that was misbehaving in the Chris Watts case? So I'm thinking that he is thinking that there was something illegal about the polygraph and therefore the confession that he killed Shanann, I mean, he never confessed in that initial interviews all those days. He never confessed to killing the kids. So killing the kids would still be on the table, would still be in the plea agreement. So I don't really know how the fruit of the poisonous tree helps him. And I don't see what grounds he would have for 35C or the Brady rules called in in Colorado. I really have no idea. So if anybody could give me an idea, I would really appreciate it. Now, what I'm going to do, Indian, is I'm going to start talking about grief, which is grief and the legal system, but I'm going to be talking about grief, period. But my legal thesis was called pain and grief, and pain was spelled P-A-Y-N-E because my thesis was based on a case called Payne v. Tennessee, which went to the Supreme Court, which was a vet about victim impact statements. And my argument as a therapist, as a grief counselor, and as an attorney has been that a lot of the things that we do in the legal system, both in divorce and in criminal cases, we really do more to screw up the family's chances for grieving and for closing it than we do to help them. So I'm going to be talking about grief in a general way. I'm going to be doing an introduction to grief in part C, and I'm going to open it with the legal system, but then I'm going to talk about grief and go through all of that because that is really what separates getting past your breakup from just about every other breakup program and breakup book and most other methods of getting past a broken relationship, but also very, very misunderstood. And it's misunderstood in the legal system 
and it's misunderstood in both the criminal arena and in the family law arena. So I want to touch on that and see, and that's where we're going next. So thanks, everybody. Please go to YouTube. Let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, what you like, what you don't like. And this was part one of, I think it's going to be about a seven episode ride through the definitive Chris Watson. We're going to cover a whole bunch of stuff, both legally and psychologically. So stay tuned. Meet me and see. Talk to you later. Take care, everybody. Bye.